Welcome to Hastings Outdoors, straight from the Mississippi Flyway to your hearts. Let's go! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet a get off the table. Welcome to an episode of Get Off the Table. I am your host. No, welcome to an episode of Hastings Outdoors. And for the, for those of you who are just listening, Sam was trying to uh, trying to walk on the, uh, the little table desk thing I have here. Anywho, coming to you not live in any way, shape, or form, as always, from the Dream Building Garage, ladies and gentlemen, the world-renowned garage where dreams are made. If you haven't heard of it, I'm sorry, but now you have. Uh, the home of the Hastings Outdoor Studio. Welcome. Come on in. Have a seat. I believe this is episode 38. I'm not sure. And Sam, you are no help right now chewing on the studio. Hey, how you guys doing out there? Doing all right? Hopefully this finds you well. Um, I want to open this podcast, uh, this episode, uh, with the Hastings Outdoors mission statement. Uh, I've mentioned it several times in the past, but I want to try and incorporate this into the beginning of uh, the podcast just to um, kind of kind of set the tone for the podcast. So the Hastings Outdoors uh, mission statement is uh, sharing my waterfowl experience and promoting conservation of our natural resources. Now, that may be subject to change over time, but that's the goal, guys. That is the goal. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully I can make you laugh in the meantime. Hopefully you get some tips and tricks. We'll see. Sam, you are chewing on my hand, dude. Chewing on my hand. All right. So, uh, that being said, guys, getting the official introduction stuffs out of the way, uh, gonna, gonna jump into two project updates, guys. Uh, the main and ongoing project right now is getting this little rascal trained, teaching him some manners and, uh, working on training so he can be a good retriever. He is a good retriever, but a good waterfowl retriever specifically. So, um, did you not bring any toys out here? Okay. But, uh, yeah, guys, uh, I've been diving into that a little bit. Um, I actually spoke about the book I had from uh, Wild Rose Kennels. Uh, Wild Rose Kennels, goodness gracious. Off to a blazing start with that. Um, I, I haven't got that far in it. I've just been so, so strapped for time lately. Uh, it's been kind of... Uh, been kind of crazy but uh i have watched uh several videos on different techniques different styles of training i've looked into e-collars i've looked into a lot of things and um since i <laughs> since i opened pandora's box and said e-collar let's let's just go ahead and talk about that here shortly after i get through project updates uh but uh the other project updates guys i oh my gosh guys i mentioned the last episode that um i was Changing up my my uh, decoys from teal to, to obviously more duck slash mallard centric. Um, getting ready for duck season, which opens uh, Saturday morning. So as of this recording, I've got three days. Well, two days left and then hunting. But um, so I was trying to get my decoys switched over, and I, I grabbed my all my uh, Texas rigs, whatever you want to call them, and uh, we're just gonna call them Indiana rigs because I think that's funny. Don't worry about that. But so I'm getting them all switched over, guys, and uh, I realized, oh, shoot, I don't have enough. <laughs> huh. So somebody had the great idea to purchase a bunch of decoys while they were on sale via Rogers Sporting Goods. Shout out to Rogers. If you're listening or anyone finds out about this, hey, guys. Hey, guys. Uh, hint, hint, sponsorship, hint, hint. Just kidding. But <laughs> so I didn't have enough Texas rigs for my decoys, guys, and so... I was in a, a slight panic for about half a second and I uh, did some research trying to buy some weights because I still had material to make them. Uh, however, the cost of the weights was more than the cost of buying the, uh, 
dozen uh, pre-made rig them right uh, Texas rigs. So I did that, and thankfully Amazon uh, Amazon Prime is uh, speedy fast, and I uh, got those, got that taken care of. So decoys are good to go. Um, got my waders out, check them out, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure, guys. I'm not sure what else is, is left to do. I got the I got the heater all switched over with the hoses. That's ready to rock. Um, I got the LP cylinder ready to go. Um, probably not going to use it this weekend. Probably not going to use it this weekend. I'll dive into that in just a second. But as far as project updates slash season prep, at this point, of at this time of the year, being so close to season, they're kind of blended together. So, yeah, you're kind of getting project updates and season prep all in one right here, guys. But uh, as far as um, as far as Saturday morning goes, I'm not really sure of a location just yet. Uh, I have some ideas in mind. I haven't had a chance to go out and scout just yet. But uh, Friday, I do plan on scouting and checking out a couple of the places I want to go um, and to see, one, are there birds there? And two, to try and get a game plan together on what, uh, where, I, where I'm going to set up, that kind of thing, based off the wind wind where the weeds are where the birds are that kind of thing uh because oddly enough uh and crazily enough um the first hunt of the second season is also going to be the first hunt in a kayak for me i don't I, I really don't as of right now i don't desire to take the dragonfly three out by myself um, and actually some of the, the, the handful of places I'm looking to go well, that should be pretty good, um, or decent. I mean, it, it's guys, it's Northern Indiana, Mississippi flyway. If you've checked out migration station, USA.com, we don't get a lot of birds here. We get a lot. Of, well, we don't get a lot. We get mallards. We get Canada's. That's about it. There are some woodies in the area, but I haven't seen one in the flesh. So, um, yeah, not a lot of mix, guys. I think I think last season I saw some black ducks, but that was about it. So, that being said, um, not the best duck hunting here in northern Indiana, but you can still get after them. You can still get them. Uh, definitely not going to get those North Dakota numbers by any means, uh, but I still love it. still want to get after them. Anywho, so uh, depending on where, the, where I see uh, fit to go, uh, most of the places I'm going are, are relatively smaller lakes uh the one's called a lake it's it's basically a big pond um and the other one is slightly larger but it's also narrower so we'll call that a a big narrow pond <laughs> um uh not not so much a pothole that uh they have out west per se but um in the central flyway and whatnot but uh smaller lakes very small lakes uh big ponds whatever you want to call it and so um i think i think the one is like five acres Something like that. So as far as a body of water goes, not big. Uh, that being said, uh, a lot of the lakes I want to go to are actually uh, part of state property, uh, part of the uh, public land where I can hunt. And um, a lot of them are actually electric motor only. So, I mean, that's fine. I have, I have the trolling motor on the Dragonfly 3, but the Dragonfly 3 Jr. I think is going to be the best option as far as hiding goes. Um, I can tuck that thing up in weeds a lot better than I can the Dragonfly 3. And plus the Dragonfly 3, I've got the blind on it, but uh, on these smaller lakes and, and smaller bodies of water in general, I think it's a lot harder to hide a full-size boat with a blind uh, because there's 
for most of the places I, I, I have the opportunity to go, there's not a lot of uh, really tall vegetation, you know, cattails, um, sawgrass looking stuff, whatever it is. I'm not really sure the names of it, guys, but the tall weeds where you can hide the reeds, whatever it is, um, there's not a lot of that there. Uh, it, it's pretty marshy. The whole area is pretty marshy, but um, not a lot of tall grass. And so that is, is basically a determining factor for me because um, wanting to be able to hide. That's the biggest thing. And um, ease of uh, functionality, whatever you want to call it, uh, trying to make this as simplistic and easy as possible with the greatest results possible or potential, I should say. So, yeah, that's the goal. Saturday morning, uh, after I scout Friday, I'm going to take the Dragonfly 3 Junior, a.k.a. the kayak, and uh, going to uh, get out there after some birdies. Fingers crossed. Lord willing, the creek don't rise. Hopefully... Hopefully it's a blessed day. Every day is a blessed day, but hopefully it's a blessed hunt. Let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting, guys. I don't think I've ever actually kayaked in the dark, so that'll be kind of cool. Um, obviously, I'll have like headlamp and stuff like that, but uh, that'll be kind of interesting. Uh, I'm going to try to utilize my scouting time Friday to one, determine where uh, the best spot will be, and two, to also determine out of those spots, uh, you know, whichever one I deem uh, the best or most suitable, most likely. Uh, candidate uh, determine where I can hide uh, based off wind direction stuff like that and so a lot of thing a lot of things to take in consideration uh, but uh, checking the weather consistently and actually guys believe it or not this is the craziest thing this happens eh, most of the time here in northern Indiana um, this week for whatever reason the temperatures are crazy warm today's a little bit cooler uh, because we had a front come in, uh, bringing some bringing some rain, but not much. And uh, yesterday, I think the high was 78. Uh, and the rest of this week, they, they're calling highs for the 70s <clears throat> up until Friday. And then uh, Saturday, the high is 57. But Friday night into Saturday night, it's supposed to stay around 47. So it's still, still kind of cool. And also, towards the end of the week, it's a, there's supposed to be a decent front coming through, bringing some rain, bringing some wind. And that's good. That's exciting for me. So depending on the direction of the wind is also depending on where I'm going to be uh, hunting from on said bodies of water. And uh, in case you guys don't know, when you're waterfowl hunting, you, wanna, you want the wind at your back. And you want your decoys downwind of you uh, because waterfowl like to land into the wind. Kind of cool. Kind of opposite of duck or duck, kind of opposite of deer hunting. So that's cool. But yeah, actually makes it a lot more comfortable too, not having the wind in your face constantly like you would for a whitetail. But yeah, that's the game plan, guys. Um, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. And there, I have been seeing birds in the area, <clears throat> not a ton, but I have been seeing birds. It seems like we had an early push of Canada's come through, and uh, that was okay. Uh, but that happened about a month ago. And so, um, still seeing them, but not as much. Um, hopefully that means they're just hanging around the area, uh, hitting bodies of water, hitting fields and stuff like that. And, you know, I don't know. I don't have time to drive around the entire county just to see what's up. And um, I, haven't, I haven't been seeing as many ducks. I've been seeing ducks on water, but I haven't seen, seen many ducks moving and unfortunately, the, the the spots I've been seeing ducks, I can't hunt them because they're in city limits. 
That's how it always goes, guys. But, yeah, so, that being said, uh, the weather's looking good. Um, hopefully, I can I can find, uh, out of the handful of places I'm, I'm interested in going, uh, hopefully, I can find uh, a suitable spot and, uh, yeah, go from there. So, we'll see how it goes, guys. I will definitely have some reports on the, uh, the inaugural or the first, the, um, I wouldn't say it's the maiden voyage because I already used the kayak, but... Um, yeah, the first, the first kayak hunt. We'll see how it goes. I'm not sure what to wear though. That's see that, <laughs> that sounds so goofy. Um, sounds definitely not masculine, but, uh, we're talking about hunting. So I think it's okay. I think it's okay. Um, I'm not sure what to wear though. See, here's my conundrum. The waders I have, they're nice. They're, they're insulated, but they're also neoprene and, um, the boots are kind of bulky. The waders themselves are kind of bulky and a boat, not bad. And a kayak, not sure. And so I'm not sure what to wear. Um, I do have alternatives. I think, honestly, guys, I think I'm going to end up wearing my muck boots with uh, my uh, Drake waterfowl pants and then my um, Sportsman's Guide guide gear jacket, coat thing, whatever, over it. And uh, definitely wearing layers. Um, that's one thing I didn't think about. Do I have a sweatshirt that's appropriate? Hmm. Hmm. Going to have to look into that, guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely a couple layers, you know, I, I might wear a sweatshirt, uh, find some sort of sweatshirt that's suitable, uh, for hunting because I'm not going to be in a blind, uh, that I can, you know, camouflage esque, whatever waterfowl esque that I can use to hunt, <clears throat> excuse me, but, uh, the low Friday night is 47. That's not bad. Uh, now with a little bit of wind, it could be chilly. Uh, but like I said, guys, the pants are waterproof. So wind's not really getting through them. Um, the boots are insulated, good to go there. Uh, and with the jacket coat thing I have from guide gear, I'm not worried about that. Uh, the only thing that concerns me is if, if I do get warm, uh, having camouflage as an underlayer, that way I'm not just sitting out there and this, whatever. I'll take care of that. You guys don't need to worry about that. But, um, yeah, I am beyond ready guys. I am beyond ready. I'm super excited, super stoked, and uh, I really hope to really hope to see birds. I, I you know, the, yeah, the overall goal is to harvest harvest some waterfowl, but at the end of the day, as long as I can see birds and, and hopefully convince them to work a little bit by calling and whatnot, that's great. Uh, we'll go from there. But so back to what I mentioned uh, now, like 13 minutes ago, I, I cracked Pandora's box on the whole e-collar thing, and. I have to I have to admit so 100% honesty here guys uh previous to um having dogs of my own uh really in my younger years before I was an adult um I thought e-collars were a bit extreme and I thought that was something that was reserved for uh just you know super aggressive super out of control uh whatever dogs you know all the all the stereotypical stuff, and I thought I thought the the concept of a uh, of an, an e collar was uh, somewhat borderline on the on that fringe line of inhumane. And um, I will say, looking back, uh, that was simply just based out of ignorance. And um, for those of you who don't know, I'll give you a brief rundown. An e collar um, it, it, that term encompasses a lot of types of collars um, that have basically a box on them 
And uh, a lot of people think of them as a shot caller. That is one type. Uh, but most of them nowadays, they have uh, a lot of different settings. And the, the shock part is only used for, you know, the, the most extreme cases. It, and by the way, the shock that it delivers, it's not that bad. I've done it myself. Um, we had a years ago, we had a couple of dogs, some, some Aussies that, you know, they were good dogs. They weren't, honestly, they didn't seem that bright, but, um, man, uh, they were just, they were just crazy. So we started with a, uh, uh, obviously training and stuff like that and trying to train them as best we could. And, um, very strong willed and driven dogs. And, um, we ended up getting a, just a bark collar because <clears throat> no matter what, they're always just making noise, whether they're happy, whether they're upset, whether they're mad, whatever it is, they're making noise. They're making noise constantly. And I, I'm not saying that's breed specific. That could have just been dog specific, but it got old after a while. You know, you're trying to lay down to bed to get up for, or for work in the morning at three 30 in the morning. And, uh, all you hear all night is <laughs> constantly It'll drive you up a wall. So we got the, uh, the bark collars, which is a version of, it's a type of e-collar, which it essentially just vibrates, uh, just like your cell phone would vibrate, something like that. Um, it, once it feels on the, basically the throat, it feels the vibrations of the noise. Um, I think that's how it works. It may, it may just be an audible sensor, but once the dog barks, it'll vibrate a little bit. And the more they bark, it'll continue, continue, continue. And it, it it doesn't hurt the dog, but it's a very unnerving, uncomfortable thing. Uh, yes, I tried it on myself too. Um, but, um, it's just, it's just a little reminder of, Hey, don't do that. Um, and so, uh, I tried that and, uh, eventually, um, one thing we, I ended up switching to a, an e-collar with multiple options for these dogs because, um, even though they were decent dogs, uh, they were smart enough to learn most things, um, but they had they just wouldn't stay in the yard. They would not stay in the yard, and honestly, I got sick of it. And unfortunately, uh, I did I did quote uh, the price for uh, an uh, what do they call that um, invisible fence type deal, and wow, to cover the area I wanted to cover to give them room to run exercise and play and all that stuff. Um, it would have been a couple thousand dollars and that's me doing it myself. So I opted not for that. I opted away from that option. Uh, took that right off the list and said, uh, no. So I, I did get an e-collar, which, um, it was, it was a lower end one. It wasn't anything fancy. Um, but it had a uh, beep mode. It, it would beep. So you, the remote, you could just hit it and it beep and it'd make you know, an audible beep or whatever. Uh, kind of an audio cue for the dog. Uh, then it would have a vibrate mode, which had, and I forget how many settings. And then it did have the shock mode or uh, whatever you want to call it that had many settings too. And so um, I only had to, I, I think I only used that a handful of times over the course of how many years or however long. And, um, it didn't seem to phase these dogs. And the only time I, I really used it is after I, I'd already started the beep, started the vibrate it, with verbal commands also. And, uh, the dog wasn't stopping. And so I would rather, I would much rather see the dog, um, get a little, a, a quick little half a second shock 
uh, that isn't going to harm them or damage their their skin or anything like that. Um, just just enough to get their attention, then see them run in front of a car, and that's kind of the scenario I was in. And so, just trying to get that dog to stop. So, that being said, guys, I got I got long winded on that. But um, that being said, the e collar is a tool, and it it it's a very serious tool. It should not be used uh, flippantly. Uh, it should not be used with someone who doesn't know what they're doing. I, if you don't, if you don't know uh, much about dogs, if you don't know much about e-collars, don't do it. Do your research. Go talk to a trainer. Uh, talk to several people and study it before you even go look looking to buy one, uh, because you can actually make things a lot worse for yourself and the animal than uh, actually make anything better uh, by misusing the e-collar and just please never if you do go the e-collar route never give that e-collar remote to anyone else period just just don't um because uh, at the end of the day you are responsible for your animal and um honestly even with your kids even with older kids i wouldn't recommend it unless they are old enough and mature enough to know that hey Don't push that button. No matter how frustrated you get, no matter angry you get, it may not be the right setting or the right application. Anywho, getting getting in the weeds on that. But so moving forward, as far as trading goes, um, little man's doing all right. He's doing just fine. Um, uh, the biggest things that I, uh, I've been working on with him now, he he understands sit. That's good. He understands come, or I some people use heel. Um, I'm working on that too. So transitioning to, you know, just other than, Hey, come to a heal and follow, you know, actually healing. And, um, yeah. So working on basic commands and other little behavioral things, he still likes, and God bless him for this because he's playful. He's a puppy. I love it. But jumping up on people, myself, my wife, the kids, anyone who's been around, um, jumping up, uh, that's a big no, no in my book. Uh, because one with little kids around, not a good idea. Uh, he's not huge right now, but if he does that when he's older, he can actually knock a child down. And, uh, that in and of itself isn't necessarily going to hurt the child, but if they fall and, and hit their head on the TV stand, if they fall and hit their head on the steps outside, something like that, there's a lot of ways where it's just a bad recipe. And I don't, I, I want to take care of that right now, uh, versus potentially having that issue drag out. So uh, one of the things that I've, I've learned through research and stuff like this, and I kind of agree with this tactic, uh, that's why I'm using it, is uh, I forget, honestly, guys, I forget where I, I heard this from, but uh, when a dog jumps up on your leg or whatever for attention, jumps up on your stomach, whatever it may be, uh, you know, just gently, you know, push them down, give the command down or no, and then don't, here's the, here's, here's the key, do not, after you, after you correct them, do not pet them. Do not give them the attention. Um, so what I do with Sam here is once he jumps up, you know, he may be excited, he may be playful, maybe wanting attention, whatever it may be, that's fine. That's normal. But when he jumps up, I'll give him a gentle push, give him the command down or no. I've been using down a lot more lately because uh, I use that for other things too. So for example, if he's sitting on the chair or uh, someday when he's on the tailgate, if I, you know, point and say down, 
you're kind of already halfway there. So, uh, but uh, once I once I correct him down, um, I'll actually you know put my hands in my pockets or cross my arms or something like that and turn my back to him, um, because the biggest thing I've seen through my interweb research and experience, all that good stuff, is that um, a lot of people have the tendency to push the dog down and, you know, say, no, don't do that. No, stop. No, don't do that. Get down. Be good. Uh, all that, all that noise. And then they immediately pet the dog and give the dog the attention it was seeking at the wrong time. Um, it's fine. If your dog wants attention, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That, that means you you have an opportunity to build trust there and build that relationship there. However, if you don't correct the bad behavior or, you correct it and then immediately, you know, reward that bad behavior, you're not going to get anywhere. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at with him right now. Uh, potty training guys, I don't want to, I don't want to throw a wrench in the gears here, but is going fantastic. Uh, literally from day one, I think there's been two accidents in the house and here we are at uh, about a week now. Is it, has it been a week, Sam? Yeah. So that's pretty good. Um, really smart dog. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because he's my dog. I'm saying that because I've, I've been around enough dogs. Uh, he's, <clears throat> he's working with some intelligence and that's a good thing. Now that can be kind of hard sometimes if he decides that he doesn't want to do something and gets stubborn because he is a smarter dog, but we'll work on that later. But, uh, kennel training, crate training is going well. Um, the first, I'd say the first three nights or so, uh, a lot of whimpering, a lot of whining when he when he went into the the crate. That's normal, um, but he is responsive to commands. You know, if he if he gets carried away, starts pawing at the door, or whatever it may be, uh, you know, quick no, that kind of stuff. For the most part, it worked within two or three commands or corrections, and so potty training is going fantastic. Um, he did have. <laughs> He did have one, one, <clears throat> excuse me, one incident in his crate, and I think that was just because um, he's still adjusting to everything, and with you know everything going on, you know the excitement, the attention, the playing, and the, the new environment that he's he's growing accustomed to it now. Um, I think that he, um, I think that he just he just waited too long. He he just held it too long because there were. Uh, the biggest thing with crate training, kennel training, whatever you want to call it, potty training in general, is you want to give them as many opportunities as you can to go outside um, so they can naturally take care of business. And so uh, the biggest thing I've been trying to do is um, we'll just start, you know, when my alarm goes off in the morning, he goes out, or I, I let him out of the crate, he goes outside, um, he, can, he has an opportunity, uh, you know, a handful of minutes or so to do his business. And he's actually started coming up to the door when he's done, so that's cool. Um, and uh, for the first four or five days, I went outside with him, and uh, not to play, not to uh, <clears throat> not to really pay attention to him. Uh, one to make sure he's not wandering somewhere he shouldn't be. He's not heading towards the road, uh, anything like that. But also, I walk out to an area where he went to the bathroom before, and I will walk to that area and get him to follow. So in the morning when he most likely has to go, uh, he walks to that area. He smells, oh, yeah, hey, I went here. I need to do that again, um, that kind of thing. And so now 
I let him out and watch, and he, he does the same thing. <clears throat> He'll go to the area he went to before, take care of business, come back in. And so things are going good. And, and the biggest, the biggest thing is, like I said, is giving them opportunities to go. So, uh, even after that, my wife, um, my wife will let him out again and then I'll get home probably four or so hours after he's been let out the second time, he will immediately go out with me again. And then, uh, you know, for, you know, during the day or the afternoon when I'm, when I'm doing the podcast, um, he's with me. Um, and then he has plenty of opportunities to go out. So, um, you, sometimes guys, you will run into issues with potty training uh, to where it seems like you just can't get ahead of it enough. <clears throat> so you keep having accidents, keep having accidents, whatever. And so be patient. Uh, I know it's frustrating, uh, especially sometimes you, you, you may uh, feel like you've made progress and then you feel like there's a regression. And all of a sudden this dog who for a week straight went outside to go potty, no messes in the house. Now it's, you know, every other time there's a mess, something like that. Be patient and uh, be consistent. And I had an experience before where, uh, for a good handful of days with a different dog, I would literally take them out <clears throat> every hour, uh, at least for a couple minutes, every hour we're going out in the grass, coming back in. And I, that is tedious and it's frustrating. It is time consuming, but here's the thing, guys, if you guys bought a dog, you knew the risks, <laughs> sorry. <clears throat> um, buying an animal, uh, a pet, a hunting dog, whatever it may be, it is a monetary investment, it is a time investment, and it can be an emotional investment too. Um, if you have a heart, you know, even the Grinch's heart grew. So, well, shout out to the Grinch for my wife. She loves that for some reason. Um, but you, if you, if you, if you're a decent human being, you eventually will get attached and form some sort of bond or relationship with a pet. Um, now, maybe not so much a fish. It's kind of hard, but, uh, you know, dogs, specifically horses, um, for some people, cats. And pray for those people because they need delivered from that. Um, but, uh, yeah, shots fired on the cat people. Not a cat fan. Um, <laughs> I'm mo Mostly because I'm allergic, guys. I'm allergic to cats. So, naturally, I I've taken that as a sign that... Cats aren't good. Anywho, um, so it, it's an investment, guys. It really is. And if you're not if you're not willing or able to put in the time and the effort and and the money to take care of this animal and provide them um, the knowledge they need, the information they need, the training they need, and and the resources, food, etc., then don't do it. Don't do it. You're just gonna you're going to frustrate yourself, get yourself overwhelmed. It's not going to be a good scenario for you. Um, the pet is not going to be most likely not going to be trained very well. Um, even, even the most extraordinary and highly intelligent animal is not going to thrive in an environment like that. So, um, I mean, I can't tell you how to live your life, but I, I would strongly encourage you that if you don't have the time, uh, to invest in that animal, then just wait, just wait. Uh, it'll be better in the long run. If you wait until, you know, your schedule changes or, uh, life changes and, and you have, you know, the time to do that, whatever it may be. Um, to invest into the, uh, that your pet, your dog, whatever it may be. <clears throat> then if you rush, you know, you get all excited over a puppy and then, you know, you, you, you get an animal that you, is, is really hard to live with, uh, because of that lack of investment when it comes to time training and all that. So long spiel on that guys. So enough about dog training. Let's talk about goose calling guys. 
this, oh my gosh, if it, in, in previous episodes, I've mentioned this several times. This has been the, uh, the bane of my existence for a while now. It's been the thorn in my side and the, the, uh, insurmountable mountain here. Um, and why, I don't know. I feel like I had a mental block. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I felt like I, for whatever reason, there was just something I just could not get it. I could not get it. And I'm not that great yet. But I have been practicing, and actually I found a video. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pull this up real quick because I've scoured the Internet and YouTube and all resources available to me for uh, in instructionals, tips, tricks, whatever it may be, for goose calling. And a lot of them provided good information, but for whatever reason, it just didn't click. Uh, I, I couldn't take the information and translate that into calling. Uh, now, I, I'm not trying to brag on myself or anything like that, but usually with a lot of things, I learn very quick. Uh, if I can watch it, if I can hear it, if I can see it, then I'll pick it up relatively easy for most things. Um, but goose calling has been a pain and it's been a struggle. So I've had to, uh, oh my goodness, sorry guys, I got to type here. I've had to really work at it and study and, uh, try to figure out how to make a goose-ish noise out of a goose call. Now, this is a, uh, <clears throat> for those of you who are interested, a Primo's Honky Tonk. According to uh, what the internet and slash L Google says, um, this is supposed to be one of the easiest beginner calls. I don't know how I feel about that, um, but it's 20, 30 bucks, something like that. And uh, I'm trying to find this video, guys, because I, I want to, I want to share this video in the hopes that you, anyone out there who may be having the same issue, can um, benefit from it, hopefully benefit from it, like I did. And I'm struggling to find it here, guys. So hang on. Do 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 do. That's the loading music. All right, here we go. Uh, the title of the video is "Mastering Short Read Goose Calls." So. For you who, oh boy, I better pause this quick or you guys are going to hear some noise. Pause. All right. I think I got it. Okay. A little bit too much. So. Nope, I didn't get it. <laughs> if you get that note. All right, there we go. So, um, <laughs> it just started like halfway through the video too. I don't know why. But, uh, okay, so the title of the video on YouTube is Mastering Short Read Goose Calls. And it is from Sean Man Outdoors, S-E-A-N. M-A-N-N, -N, Outdoors. Um, I don't know anything about the channel. don't know anything about Sean or whoever that is. But uh, so th different types of goose calls. Your short read call. I need to switch screens so I can actually see and hopefully you guys can see this too. Um, short read call. Where can I frame it? Where can I frame it? Right there. Short read call. Similar to a duck call. Slightly larger. Um, almost grabbed a wood duck call. So... Very similar. Um, I don't know if you guys, how well you guys can see that, but the size difference is one of the big indicators here. I'm trying to frame this a little bit better for you guys. Um, so, pretty much uh, looks like a duck call, a little bit bigger. Um, that is a short read goose call. Now, there's also a goose flute. Oh boy. This is the, uh, it's Primos again, guys, and I bought it because it was dirt cheap, uh, and honestly, I bought it out of desperation. 
Uh, one, because I don't know how goose, goose hunting is going to go. Uh, yeah, I'm excited at the opportunity, but I'm not completely invested yet. So save money, cut my teeth, go from there. So as you guys can see, hopefully, if I can frame this decently, you have your short read on bottom and the flute on top. They, I don't know why they call it a flute. They could have called it a whistle or just a long call, something like that. They didn't, didn't have such a weird name to it. But, um, yeah. So, uh, not to kick the hornet's nest here too much, guys, but um, a, lot of, a lot of interwebs peoples, um, not a fan of the flute call for whatever reason. Apparently, the cool hip in-style in thing is the short read call. Um, the short recall, I will say, is more difficult than the flute call. Uh, the flute call is kind of uh, your more traditional, standard, old-school type way of doing it, I guess, from what the internet has said. So take it, take that as a grain of salt. Um, but, yeah, so two different kind of calls. And what is this one? This is just the Primos Canada Goose Flute. And it's got this little bit of hose, tone, flexion, dealio thing here, which I don't know if that's necessarily necessary. Uh, but so, uh, back to this video real quick, guys, um, in this video, and I will try to put a link in the description for you guys. Um, just, just to try and share information. Uh, I'm not looking for any, any credit from this by any means, but back to the short read call. Um, a lot of the tips and tricks he gave in that video, uh, were extraordinarily helpful and a little more helpful than, um, some of the other videos I've seen. And so, he, he talked about, uh, I've mentioned previously that uh, there was one video I watched where uh, the gentleman said to change that pitch and get that call to break over, you want to raise the back of your tongue like, uh, like it does when you say K, K. And so I struggled, oh, much, uh, much to, um, well, there wasn't a lot of success with that, guys. I tried to do that and raise my tongue to the, the back of my tongue to the roof of my mouth, and that... Uh, that's a gymnastics experiment that is not worth trying. You'll drive yourself crazy trying to perfect that um, unless you're just talented. I don't know. But um, that wasn't working for me. Uh, I couldn't – I every once in a while I'd get kind of a honk out, but I couldn't get any consistency with that. And it was just – honestly, guys, it, just, it started to hurt after a while. And I'm like, I, I don't think that's the way to do it. And so much research led me to this video by Sean Man Outdoors. And he, he mentions um, – think of it like whistling. So, um, the honk is essentially a two note call. It starts off low and then there's a, a quick, shorter pitch change up at the end. So he said, if you can whistle like that, good boy. He said, if you can do that, do that through the call. And that's pretty much how you, how you, how you get that honk down. And so bear with me guys, this is going to sound amazing. I know. So <laughs> I'll try to try to demonstrate and see see if I can get you guys to laugh out there. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and so me trying, I'll, I'll try to do it the the other way I was doing it. And basically, what he said he he uses he he just raises his tongue. He's not trying to lift the back of it. He's just raising his tongue, you know, from the bottom of his mouth to the top of his mouth. And how fast you do that. Uh, Sorry, another little tidbit here. How fast you do that also changes the pitch on the end. I haven't quite got that yet, so I'm not going to try to demonstrate that. But if you want a lower note at the end of the honk, the second note, so that second note that at the end, 
if you want that to be lower, uh, raise it slower. If you want it to be higher, you raise it quicker. I'm still working on that. But um, he said uh, another tip is that can make it sound like there's several geese calling, honking, whatever. And so um, kind of lost my train of thought there. Oh, yes. So the other way of doing it, raising the back of your tongue, I, I don't even know if I can do it. We'll, we'll try to do it, and I'll show you. <clears throat> I'll try to demonstrate on how it didn't work for me. Kind of, I don't know. It might be functional, but it was, it was, it felt, it feels like a more unnatural movement to me than to literally raise your tongue up and down, up and down. So roof and mouth, bottom mouth, roof and mouth, bottom mouth. And, um, if you guys are struggling with the short reed goose call, as I have been, uh, check out that video. Um, one thing I recommend you guys, you guys know you better than anyone else other than God. And so one thing I have learned in my previous experience when I'm trying to learn something is, um, I have a habit of trying to jump in, uh, head first to a lot of things. And so one thing I've tried to do to throttle myself and make sure I learn information and build upon information correctly is if I'm watching an instructional video, I will literally sit down, put the call away especially for calling, I should say, I'll put the call away and try to <clears throat> just watch the video beginning to end. And uh, maybe I'll make some notes, something like that. And then I will start over and, and then use it as a, a walkthrough tutorial. So when he said, if you can whistle <whistles> like that, uh, okay, well, Hey, you know what? Pause. I'm going to try that. So just tips and tricks, maybe to help you guys. Um, uh, yeah. So however, the goose flute, um, this sucker makes a lot of noise and I feel like it takes a lot more air, but it's also easier to use. And I'm going to try and do this without deafening you guys. So, um, bear with me as I figure this out. Uh, I'm gonna move the microphone away. Temporary. Oops, excuse me. Hiccup thingy there. Temporarily. And, uh, see if we can get, see if we can get Sam to howl on this one. I'm not good at this, so bear with me. Something like that, guys. I, like I said, I am a, a thousand percent rookie on this one. Uh, just beginning. I literally got this the other day. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see what happens, guys. Um, I was actually... Believe it or not, I was actually looking for a video on how to use the goose flute because everyone's like, oh, it's easier to get goose-sounding-ish sounds out of it. And I was like, well, hey, you know, I got this. Let's see if it's easier. Eh, not really. Um, but uh, while looking for a goose flute video, I found that video on short recalls. I'm like, hey, why not? Let's try it. So, I don't know. Long little, long little short rant, whatever you want to call it, about goose calling. And hopefully that helps you guys. And like I said, I will try to get that link for that video in the description because for whatever reason, that video was uh, far and away the most helpful video I have watched as of right now as far as goose calling goes. There's been several that I've watched and, and some guys just get on there and just all that junk. And it's like, that sounds cool. How do I do it? And yeah, you never get to that part. So, ugh. The search continues, guys. The learning continues. I, I, I will get better at this. I will get better at this. Much practice ahead.
that being said, guys, I'm getting kind of long here anyways. Um, so the next time you hear uh, the Hastings Outdoors podcast, it will be after Goose, Goose and Duck opens, after hunting season opens for me in the northern zone of Indiana. Uh, and so hopefully, fingers crossed, Lord willing, that uh, I have good report for you guys. Either way, it's going to be a good experience. I can get out there, uh, get after it, and, and pursue game. And hopefully I have... Uh, something to show for other than a good time and enjoying nature. Uh, that being said, guys, uh, hang in there. If you're still waiting like me, hang in there. It's coming. Get your stuff ready. Get your gear ready. Get everything checked. Check your waders. Check everything. Make sure you got your gear ready to rock so you can get out there and, and get after it and uh, do so hopefully successfully and safely. Um, that's the biggest thing. Uh, I will point out uh, just a little PSA here at the end of the podcast, guys. Uh, get out there, enjoy the outdoors, but do so in a safe manner. Um, no, I don't know. I'm just going to say this. No duck, no deer, no, no game is worth your life, period. Uh, on the hierarchy of life value, uh, humans are at the top, plain and simple. So uh, that being said, guys, uh, be safe, get out there, get ready, get after it. And until next time, guys, have a good one. Have a good day. I'll catch you guys later. Peace. Check out Hastings Outdoors on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Like, share, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. Thanks for listening.